G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 166 of the Outback Mine podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in with me once again. Episode 166, I have Darren Flanagan on with me today. Darren Flanagan is an ex-Geelong footballer primarily. I also played for St Kilda for a little while, but uh, played in the 1989 grand final, the famous grand final with Gary Ablett and um, uh, basically losing it by a, sh- a small margin to uh, Sir Hawthorne, which was you know, an incredible game of football. And um, some of us that were around back then would have remembered it fondly and um, Darren was an integral part of that game, uh, but more importantly, Darren is a country lad from uh, Katamatite, which is uh, up in the Goblin Valley area in Victoria, played um, a bit of footy there when he was a young fella, came off a farm and all that type of stuff, and has lived most of his life um, you know, in the city, um, sort of went to St Kilda after playing at Geelong and sort of <laughs> never left. So he's also worked for the AFL, still does, uh, does lots of work in uh, player development, um, and mentoring young people. So we're going to have a really good chat about, uh, you know, his football life today, uh, what it actually means to him, some of the, the mental health um, challenges he's observed as a, um, a player, but also, you know, uh, moving into, uh, I suppose, modern life, uh, sort of managing people within uh, the football uh, structure and football environment. So um, really well regarded and, and highly respected fella is Darren. So I'm sure you're going to really enjoy uh, this conversation. Now, I just want to make special mention to uh, Mick and Amy Stooth, um, who run an organisation called The Real Shift. Now, these guys are, are very, very good at being able to help people change habits and break habits. Um, they have a deep dive program which goes for nine weeks, which basically helps you explore um, some of the blocked uh, behaviour patterns that you may have in your life and uh, give you tools to be able to overcome them. So these guys are really um, uh, well regarded, but also you know, they've got some tremendous lived experience themselves. They're also excellent qualified coaches, NLP practitioners, and uh, holistic therapists primarily. So they understand you know, what a human um, needs to do to function well in body and mind. And um, uh, they're, they're basically, you know, keen to uh, help more Australians out, both men and women. So I really encourage you, if you're interested to, to shift something in your life, to jump onto the realshift.com forward slash deep dive um, and have a look at what they do. Um, you know, we've all, all got something going on in our lives that we want to try and change, whether that be a habit or whatever, we want to try and improve something. And now this program can really help you move forward. So jump on um, therealshift.com forward slash deep dive. Mention the Outback Mine and they'll give you a discount. So um, yeah, probably one of the best investments you could make in your life, I reckon, um, investing in yourself and and moving through some of the things that uh, that seem to hold us back uh, that we sort of keep uh, between our ears. It's really important to be able to move those on. So jump on and uh, and uh, have a look at what they do. I really uh, think you'll enjoy um, their program. Also, uh, yeah, certainly uh, uh, wanted to mention about the Outback Mind Foundation. We're trying to set this up as a charity. I uh, want to try and um, talk to regional and rural businesses that, uh, that work in uh, country towns and, and country communities to be able to help us um, support men's health and mental health throughout Australia. So if you'd like to know more about that, um, you know, give me a call or 
Uh, email me at support at outbackmind.com.au. Really important stuff that we're trying to put together here to try and change the way that uh, mental health is um, uh, managed and also, you know, uh, I suppose, delivered in Australia. I think we can make lots of improvements, particularly in the men's space. So I um, hope you can um, reach out and have a chat about that. Um, it's, uh, it's important stuff. So I uh, appreciate any support you can give me. Uh, now, any feedback with uh, this conversation with Darren and I uh, would be appreciated. So please email me as well, support at outbackmind.com.au. Jump on Facebook, uh, Outback Mind, the page there. Appreciate it. Darren, how are you? Oh, excellent. Thanks, Darren. How are you? Very well, mate. Very well. Now, I was trying to remember Catamatite. I reckon they wore Richmond colours, but would I be wrong or right? Yeah, Caddy Tigers. That's why I grew up playing footy. That's it. That's why I was barricaded for Richmond as a junior. <laughs> and you would have been pretty disappointed that you went to Geelong? Oh, it was country zones then, so once you sort of realised you are on the radar, you didn't really get a lot of choice. So, um, yeah, no, I was more than happy to head down to Geelong and have a crack at it. We'll, 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 um, we'll fast track here a little bit. We'll come back to Catamatite in a minute. But I reckon my observation as a young fella was... Guys that come from the bush that went to Geelong fitted in better because it was more of a like a country environment, a country culture there. Yeah, they had a really good setup. They owned a couple of houses, which they had a, um, a housekeeper and a manager in, and so you walk in the door and you got a dozen good mates straight away, mm. and that made it really easy to fit in on the tra- on the training track. Just knew some voices, uh, knew some knew some people, and and um, yeah, it gave you a bit of an outlet as well after training or on the weekends when you're looking for something to do you had a few mates to go and uh, play mm. golf or go surfing or get involved with uh, the local community so that was um, a pretty good introduction and not to mention hang around the lyric nightclub as well i would have thought well the lyric was a later event it was more <laughs> the cat's disco i think in our days and secured out of disco as well so you probably uh you were in your element to go from one to the other, I would have thought so. Yeah, I think I missed the halcyon days of the St Kilda Social Club, and uh, <laughs> probably, probably for a good reason. Yeah, unreal, mate. So let's get back to, to Catamatite. What do you remember about uh, growing up back there and, and all the good stuff around uh, being being a kid in the bush? Yeah, so I grew up on a farm. It was a, um, a mixed farm, Dad and his father and two brothers we had beef cattle and we had uh sheep and a bit of cropping and dad was more into dairy and when um when my grandfather got off the farm dad bought out the two brothers after a couple of years and and pretty much sold off all the cropping and all the uh beef cattle and sheep and just concentrated totally on uh, on dairy farming so we're mm. dairy farmers and you know getting up every morning and helping dad with chores before we went to school was pretty normal mm. so it's a good environment to grow up in now, mate, um, was there many other players that came from that area that played AFL? Yeah, it's been half a dozen. There was Gary Cameron came to Geelong with me a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah. Uh, a young fellow called Mick Howard was a little bit younger again. He went to Melbourne when we got rezoned to Melbourne. And in more recent times, Sammy Wright, who had a, a pretty good career at North Melbourne, who's mm-hmm. gone back to Caddy now, and, yeah. and Tom Cleary, who's currently on Port Adelaide. List. So for a little town of 100... Uh, Hundred people. It's done pretty well with you know, half a dozen AFL players over the over the journey. Mm, and there's a pub there, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not sure whether it was that one. That was for sale. They closed it for a while there. Yeah. Um, yep. They opened a cafe over the road with a liquor license, and it seemed to be more popular than a pub. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So the pub was closed for a while, and that was for sale six months ago. So hopefully they got it going. So yeah, it's important. Uh, lots of uh, uh, great lots of old pubs that have shut down over the years too. 
Yeah, just the population, drink driving. It's pretty old. A lot of retired people in the, in the town now, not too many kids around the place. Mm. Yeah, and when I think I left home, there, I was talking to my brother the other day, who's still up there, there were 30 dairy farms within 5K when I left home, down the streets. And that's yeah. you know, 27 yeah. families with three or four kids each who, uh, who aren't in the area anymore. So it's, um, yeah, yes. it's getting tougher and tougher for those sort of little towns to put put teams on the on the park every week agree and also it's the same as in uh, in cropping you know like a lot of those farms have been bought up by bigger consortiums yeah so you know one family buy the neighbor out buy the neighbor out and all of a sudden it was three families now it's one mm, that's right yeah. yeah amazing mate tell me um uh with regards to you getting into footy like you you would have been playing under 13s when you were like six like most yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah. So Half you, time the seniors, three yeah, quarter ground. That's it. But you were a tall kid. Yeah, I was taller than my teacher in grade six, so that was always a good start. I was <laughs> about five foot seven in grade six, and little Mickey Corbo was about five foot six, so uh, yeah. had him covered. I was always tall. You know, Dad was six foot two, Mum was five eleven, so the, which was mm. tall for a lady in those days. So I was always, we're always going to be tall kids. Mm. So I had two brothers who were six foot four. And, Sister is about six foot one, so another one. Sister is about five ten. So between the lot of us, we had a fair bit of height on our side. So what happened? Uh, you you just sort of played juniors and that there, and then and then you sort of got picked up from uh, from Catamatora. Do you have a pathway? Yeah, into... so I come through the juniors. Yeah, you know, playing fourth and then thirds and seconds and filling in. You know, you often played you know thirds in the morning, then fourths at half time in the seniors. Or mm. yeah, I remember I played a game where I played thirds and. And then sat on the bench for the seconds as about a 14 year old. Mm. Got to play a game with Dad. Didn't get much game time and sort of hit it in the fourth pocket, which was about the go for the little kids in films, just making up numbers. And I think that's the situation now where this, where this kid sort of fell in for multiple games and blokes were way, way too old still playing footy out there. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just after, I think it was 15, 16, I got, got to play senior footy for two years. Uh, played in the Premiership in 79, which is a which was, um, you know, a great introduction to footy. Mm, mm. Um, and sort of had, you know, had reunions every year, two, 10 years. It's always good to catch up with all the blokes who uh, have played in that premiership with me. And that sort of set you off on a pretty good path when you head down to Geelong that you had a couple of years of senior footy under your belt. Mm, oh, for sure. And it was pretty common back then. Like, you you think about Dean Wallace, mate. Um, he was playing at Neil, uh, pretty young, and, and uh, his first experience was a practice match um, uh, down at Essendon where Mark Harvey, um, you know, cleaned him up and tried to go toe-to-toe with him, and, and he stood up to Mark Harvey, you know, as a, as a 15 or 16-year-old. So, um, uh, you know, country fellas, um, you know, that had already had some experience playing against men was, uh, was pretty, pretty special and pretty unique at the end of the day. Yeah, I always remember my first practice match we were playing Pecola in a, in a scratchy there in the Pecola League, we were in the Tungamai League. And I played on a bloke called Jim Kilminster, and I think he was a sleeper cutter. He used to cut sleeper by, sleepers by hands from the mm-hmm. railway lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember thinking at the age of, like I just turned 16, I said, this is the biggest bloke I've ever seen. I reckon he was three foot across the shoulders. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, he was just a legend of footy up there and I ended up playing on him for my first game. I took you up a couple of marks and he said, that's enough son, it's only a practice match. <laughs> and I was scared the crap out of me. So he waxed for the rest of the day and oh, uh, it was just a, a great introduction. I remember as a young fellow watching like brawls that were like legendary primarily like as a young man sitting there and watching like the whole two sides just flogging the shit out of each other did that ever happen up at your way much 
No, not really. Um, yeah. Because it was only small country towns. You know, yeah. we played against always had great rivalries, but, mm. you know, if someone whacked someone, well, then there was a square up and that was it. Mm. Um, didn't, you know, I can't recall any. All in blues was a bit of a mm. push and shove in the grand final in 79 in the first quarter. Mm. I think the funniest thing happened out of that was our, our, our full forward did his hammy trying to get to the fight in time. It's the fastest he ran all year and he pinged our hammy. So, uh, mm. but, yeah, no, well, it, was, it was tough, Woody, but it wasn't. There was nothing too much underwood. I think where I'm from in the winter is probably a bit of an exception because it was pretty, pretty much like that all the time. So <laughs> you had to had to be you know had to learn to toughen up pretty quickly, sort of thing. But uh, interesting, mate. So so what happened? Did you get um, did you get Geelong sort of come to you when you were playing there and ask you to go down, or how did it work? Yeah, so we well, I made a couple of rep teams. Um, Teal Cup. So the, the, yeah, the interleague first of all. There's a 16 year old playing in the under 17s, and then a 17 year old played Teal Cup. Went mm. to Tassie for three games in three days. Mm. The long weekend in June. Throw the grass off. So they're on the back of that. They said, "Yep, would you like to come down and, and have a try out?" Went down there for a week during the school holidays and played a scratch match. And they yeah, pretty much came up and saw mum and dad and my brother, older brother, and I went went down there together. Mm. He was a year older than me, so I was 17 years old then. Mm, mm. So he was he playing down there, or how did it work? No, he only he sort of got half a dozen games on permit. Played some under nineteen games, and then they let him go. Yeah. So he came back and played with Caddy, then played with Yarrawonga for the most of his career, and mm. had a very successful career there. Mm. Went to the league goal kicking a couple of times. And, yeah, he's a really good country footballer. He's still around up there. No, he passed away sadly. Yet, uh, Shit. Yeah, he got cancer and passed away not long ago, which oh, is a mate, real. Yeah, a really sad day for the family. We knew what was coming, but yeah, even the shock of it. But eventually taking him was really, really sad. Mm, early, so you're 54, so you would have been maybe... No, uh, I'm, I'm 60. He was. He didn't make his 61st birthday. Oh, shit. Unreal, mate. Yeah. Unreal. There you go. I'm, I'm bloody sorry to hear. Yeah, no, it's, it's when your time's up, your time's up, and it's... Yeah, it's a, it was a tough uh, a tough on his family. Mm, my word, mate. Um yeah, look, you know, uh, obviously being in a country community and a place like Yarrawonga and having that sort of uh, uh, linkage to a place like that, he would have been, um, you know, pretty well supported, you know, through his illness, I reckon. And, yeah, uh, well, he actually was living in Melbourne at the time. He'd moved down, but, you know, the number of people that came from Yarrawonga to his funeral was, mm. you know, full testament to the way he was, uh, he was respected in the town. Yeah, amazing, mate. Um, mm. Yeah, look, I, I'm really interested to sort of hear what it was like for you at Geelong, and obviously, you know, you you were sort of uh, playing with some pretty good players down there. Um, you had Billy Brownless, actually. He was not uh, from too far away at Geraldery. Um, yeah, so um, the Hocking boys from Cobram mm. were nearby. Yep. Uh, Bernie Tui from from Baruga, Steve Reynoldson from Strathburton. Mm. So we all sort of headed down about the same time, same period of time, and started our careers together um and that was when sammy newman was still going around for toronto those days he mm. now kevis was the captain mm. um you know young nick turner was running around the wing so yeah they played two preliminary finals in the first two years there mm. not, didn't, didn't make the granny we won three reserves premierships when i got there so we had a pretty good depth and we had a pretty good squad how old were you when you started playing seniors I was 19 when I had my, my, my debut, so I was in the, late in my second year down there. What year was that? 81. 81. Against South Melbourne at the old Lakeside Oval before they transferred up to Sydney. Barry Round playing? 
Oh, I don't know. I was hiding in the Ford pocket at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would have been like that bloke from Cobb, uh, bloke from Pecola, the um... <laughs> Jimmy Gilman. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got the... flat Barry a couple of times later in my career, but he was when he was yeah, he was really on top of his game. Him and Gary Dempsey, yeah, yeah. Were they good players. They were bloody good players. Huge, absolutely, mate. Um, so you you were you were there for a while and and ended up playing like through up until '89. What were the highlights of the career leading up to that grand final? Like, what were some of the things that sort of stuck out for you? Uh, we were a pretty young team. You know, once sort of the Nankervis brothers and you know, David Clark and that sort of crew had moved on, which was early 80s, it was a really young crew. Like mm. Mark Boss and Mark Yates and, mm. and, uh, when, and Tommy Hafey was coaching us and he played a lot of the kids. And we lost Greg Williams, Bernie Tilly and David Bolton to Sydney when Tommy went to Sydney, which mm. I reckon probably slowed our progress a bit. But then the likes of you know, Paul Couch and Andrew Buse and, mm. and Billy Brownless and Barry Stone, all those sort of young blokes came through. So we were a pretty young squad. So between Tommy and, and John Devine, he just played a lot of kids. Mm. And as a result, by the time Bly took over in 89, there, were, there was a good bunch of kids with sort of 50 to 100 games experience mm. that had played enough footy together. It was sort of... Really good timing for someone like Blighty who was a little bit out of left field and mm. played a really taking brand of footy. And, you know, of course, we had Gary Ablett in the goal square by then and he was just an absolute superstar. Mm. Um, yeah, we were fairly lucky that we had a good group of young blokes who played a lot of footy together and we sort of set up the 89 to 92 period really well. Tell me, mate, who were some of your best mates coming through like that, that period? Oh, well, it's all the country boys to start with, but, mm. you know, good mates with Andrew Buse and mm. local race, Arsenic, and, mm. you know, uh, David O'Keefe, we used to knock around together, and, there's, yeah, there's, there's always a dozen of us. Yep, yep. <laughs> catching up. And you, 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 know, you don't look in each other's pockets going forward. You just, when you catch up, like I saw a few of them with, a couple of weeks ago at the footy when John played Hawthorne, and, um, yeah, I haven't seen, like Austin McCrabb, I hadn't seen him, reckon, for nearly 30 years, but it was really, really good to catch up with him. Mm. See what it is up to, and you know, just chew the fat and pick it up where we left off thirty mm. years ago. Mm. Unreal, mate. Yeah, you're very lucky to have that sort of camaraderie, and um, yeah, yeah, mate. You get that in all footy clubs. Like I go back to Caddy, and there's blokes who I haven't seen for you know twenty years or thirty years, and you just pick it up where you left off. Yes, you do. That's right. Absolutely. No, I agree. And like, just fast tracking a bit. This is where like a lot of a lot of guys have lost connection now you know like yeah. we don't have those sorts of clubs and those environments like we used to so we actually like we end up you know getting a bit uh off track uh you know and um and that's when a lot of the issues that we're having now are sort of you know popping up but uh yeah like that that fabric and that uh connection is really important for a for a man would you agree oh 100 you know it's actually I was thinking the other day, I told my daughter, she's studying psych, and I think she psychoanalyzes me way too much, but <laughs> we're talking about, you know, connection, and, and you know, when you when you leave your footy club, when I left Geelong, and, you know, you, even though the, I was still living in Geelong, and I used to see the bikes on a fairly regular basis when they were popular the pub, but just that, you know, four or five days a week where you spend a couple of hours with your mates down the footy club, and you just sort of lose, your, you lose that little bit of connection, and you sort of can go off the rails a little bit and mm. just sort of lose a bit of purpose. And if you've got your your identity wrapped up in, in your sporting prowess, yes. uh, I, I noticed a lot of players have really struggled post-career with that. So yeah. it can be a bit of a trap. And it's interesting, after a couple of years, I got back into volunteering and helping out at junior footy clubs. Mm. Um, so I got a job through a mate 
in the talent pathway and started helping out the Sandy and Dragons and a couple of local footy clubs with just a little bit of coaching and you just start to feel appreciated again because people are saying thank you for your efforts and you're really not doing much you just go down there to you know kick the footy around with them and you yes. know try and teach them a bit of stuff that you know Oh, um, and you see those old fellows who are down the footy club, they're cooking the barbies or they're on the gate or they're, you know, behind the jump selling beers. They're just connected mm. so well with their footy clubs and it's something I reckon is really undervalued when they come to, yeah. you know, the, the mental health of, of men in society, what the value of that connection is. For sure, mate. And, and up where I live, we don't have any clubs sort of thing as such, so I really miss that myself, so it's important for yeah. me to... You know, create other ways to uh, to, to be involved uh, with with other guys in a healthful way. You know, so sports yeah. are a great a great you know. And, uh, and it's interesting the rise of the men's shed lately. Yeah, yeah. You know, the last sort of decade or so, you know, that was almost like an informal old boys network from a footy club. Mm. Um, you know, and you, you can you know, the, the people that actually had enormous benefit from being involved in those men's sheds. That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, gives, it, gives, it helps with create creativity and, and you know, mm. the connection and purpose. What I'm doing here is I'm setting up these men's circles and I want to try and have these sort of all around the country so we've got a bit of a network and that's all about building capacity. It's not about like just, you know, uh, you know, talking about problems, which, you know, is also important, but it's also helping other people like learn how um, you've developed and grown through your own lived experience and then that can help others, um, you know, move forward with their own lives because I just think we've got a really reactive way of managing ourselves. We wait till something's fucked before we, uh, we do something about it. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I think, you know, to actually go down and volunteer and to help out, you know, in a group, you know, whether it's the school fate or whether it's the local footy club or whether it's, you know, the men's shed or whatever it is, if, you know, to, mm. to actually get involved and to feel appreciated and feel wanted, yeah. it, it improves your self-worth, even if it's going to help a local neighbour fix his fence, you know, his yes. tree's falling on his fence, going to help him fix it, because you know full well if a tree falls on your fence, then he's going to give you a job out, so yes. you just feel appreciated, you don't do it for anything but, you know, just giving a mate a job out, yeah. uh, and it just increases your self-worth and your self-value, and I just reckon there's a really, that's a really important part of us as as as, as animals yeah. feel connected oh for sure mate you know like we we are meant to be uh, collaborating and doing things together you know like we're not meant to be separated it's tricky but tell me mate you know uh, getting back to playing footy did you find that you might have felt a little bit sort of unsure or insecure uh, coming into that um into that era where you were really successful did you sort of doubt yourself whether you were uh, able to be good enough to, to play consistent footy with some of the talent that was around or do you you you're pretty confident in your role and, and your ability there oh and you, i don't think you ever felt comfortable in the team I always listen for the team on thursday night to make sure i was in <laughs> and if you'd been best on ground the week before you still <laughs> listen to the team yeah and uh, that was probably as much about to find out who if one of your mates had been dropped and to give him a call and see he's going mm-hmm, good. um yeah but i never I never ever took for granted my spot in the team. Mm, mm. Um, we just, you know, yeah, all the way through, you just you know, hope you get a game the next week, you hope you get a game the next week, and you do your best on the Saturday. And when the game's over, the game's over. You don't want to dwell on it too much because you really can't change the result or your performance post game. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, a couple of things come back to me there. How sometimes we never found out until we read the, uh, the paper the next morning on the Friday. Or the, the sides were stuck up in the uh, in the cafe down the street. 
you know. Just and, find out whether you got a game. So when oh. Blighty was coaching, we trained Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which was quite unusual because most train you know, recovery Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. Um, so he would pick the team on Wednesday and we'd have to go to training on the Friday night knowing full well you're out of the side. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, and then you weren't allowed to discuss your selection in the team, which I thought was a little bit strange, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. If you want something to work on, yeah, you're not getting that sort of feedback. And I think it's a little bit different nowadays. For sure, man. Uh, you're probably getting a bit more feedback as to how you're travelling. Yes. Yeah, that's important. And, and, you know, that's what we sort of needed as young fellas back then. So I remember getting really pissed off if I got, um, you know, if I missed out. And, and that can really, like, you know, that can suffocate you, <laughs> you know, unless mm. you're able to, to talk about it and that sort of thing, you know. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you become attached to your um, to your identity as being a player or being, you know, someone that's performing sort of thing. And if that's taken away from you, it can be pretty uh, pretty challenging, I reckon. Yeah, and to be told that moment you're not quite good enough is... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, it's just a bit of a bit of a slap, and you can take it two ways. But if you think yeah. give us a fairly constructive feedback on what you need to work on, you yes. say right up. Yep, I agree where you're at. Yep. No worries, we'll have a go. That's it. That's it. Makes a difference. And um, mate, um, interesting with regards to to your observation earlier of Gary Ablett. What was what was he like to be around and uh, and and sort of play with? Oh, he was just an amazing athlete. He was, you know, he was the fastest runner in the club. He jumped higher than anyone else in the club. Mm. He's the best mark, the best tackler, the best kick, the best reader of the game. Um, you know, he had every attribute, every attacking attribute you could possibly think of when it came to footy. So, you know, to have him in your side, we, we used to have a front row seat to his show and it wasn't just on a Saturday. Some of the stuff he did at training was was quite amazing mm. and uh, you know he t- picks up other sports and he he goes really well at those as well so he has a, there's a myriad of stories around Gary Abbott and he's in his sporting prowess across all sports but mm. as a footballer he was he was just on a different planet everyone else mm. he, he'd get the ball in the middle he'd look up and he'd have someone dropping back in front of you and had two blokes hanging off him you go yeah I'll kick it to him anyway still I reckon he's still a chance to get it with three blokes on him. <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, he probably did most times. I remember going to a game at VFL Park. It was a night game, like a pre-season game, and he like, he was, like, really on. And, um, yeah, there was a couple of guys on him, and, and he was just like, you know, it was like... Like it, like you as a as a um, as a tall kid in grade six playing against like the the small kids, you know. Mm. He was just able to just do some stuff that the others couldn't comprehend, and they were shaking their heads and that sort of stuff. So pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his core strength was amazing. You know, you tack on, you just shake the hips and drop blokes off, and mm. his ability to kick both feet. Mm. It was sublime. Like you kick easily sixty metres with both feet, and you just mm. don't see that nowadays. Mm. Mm. That's true. Interesting, mates. Um, uh, you know, like, what was it like to play in that 89, 89 grand final where you, you got done? I think you were probably pretty close to winning that, and um, you know, you obviously just missed out. But what was that game actually like? Well, uh, we had an interesting final series. In the first final we played Essendon. Um, at the MCG and got smacked, I think, by about 11 goals and just completely out of the depth and, and played terribly. And the next week, we were playing Melbourne, who won the, quali- uh, the elimination final. Um, they had a really good... They were tagging Couch and Bearstow really well, so Blighty started those two on the bench and that sort of threw their tags off a bit. And That was a pretty brutal game. We, there was a lot of little fiery you know, incidents throughout the game. 
But we just overran. I think we kicked 10 goals, 10 in the last quarter. Mm. We pretty much demoralised them and got ourselves on a bit of a roll. Then we come up against Essendon again the week after. After two weeks prior to getting beat by 11 goals, I think we beat them by about 15 the week after. So mm. got ourselves into the into the granny with some pretty good form. Mm. Um, yeah, the crowd of the town was on fire. They hadn't had seen the team in the, in the grand final for a long, long time. So, you know, 20,000 at training and they had to book us parking spot to get to the get to training as a player and all that sort of stuff so it was a little bit out uh, a little bit surreal mm. and then you know match day i knew i was starting on the bench so i wasn't thinking about it too much just got up with myself and bruce linda had that valley in hotel at that stage so i just got up and did a few hours work set up the pub and i think one of the cleaners blew up the vacuum cleaner so i popped over to kmart bought ourselves a new vacuum cleaner and about 11 o'clock said, oh, we better go and catch a bus now. So I jumped on the bus, got up to the game, and, yeah, they usher in the back door, and you don't get the feel the atmosphere of the crowd until you actually run out. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit lucky. I could have a look around, knowing full well that I was on the bench in the first quarter. Because I used to do the second and last quarters, and Damien Burke used to do the first and third. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, quarter time was seven goals down. I think, God, that didn't help. <laughs> So, as Whitey said at the time, he said, just got to start breaking even for a while and working our way back to the game, which we, we did. And Berkey didn't go back on at half time, so he ended up playing the last three quarters. Um, mm. Yeah, we sort of got close towards the end, but yeah, never really got close enough to think that we're a genuine chance to get over the top. Mm. The mm. first time I got within a goal was when there was about 20 seconds left, and mm. they just tipper jumped all over it in the centre bounce and killed the contest, and that was it. Mm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great game to play, you know. You, it was one of those games I was fairly lucky. I was in a bit of a bubble and didn't really hear the crowd too much. I was in a nice little zone and got a few kicks. And, mm. um, but, yeah, the aftermath was 25,000 at Geelong Town Hall and they all celebrated their life as a win. And, mm. Mm. you know, it was a great achievement, but then we didn't make the finals the next year, so we didn't back <laughs> it up at all. Was that, the, was that the game where, was it Neville, sorry, uh, Andrew Buse or whoever it was, ran through Dermot? Uh, Mark Yates. Mark Yates, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of payback from an earlier game in the year where Dermy had uh, given Yater a bit of a cheap shot. And, uh, and Dermy was pretty aggressive in those days, coming off the square. Mm. And in those days he could. And Goucher was playing our sweeper role. He just won the Brownlow. There was a bit of rumour that Dermy might try and pick him off in the centre bounce. Mm. So, um, finally just organised for Mark Yates to pick him off before he got to catch. <laughs> Oh, really? So Malcolm Blight organised that? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that, wasn't, that was, it was just like a sensible tactic. Okay, we've got to protect our best player. Yes. He's just, he just won the Brownlow. He plays behind the footy at a centre bounce. Yes. You know, Dermy's going to come in pretty hard, as he did all year. Yep. Like, you know, always came in pretty hard at the footy and was a great player. And um, and when, when Blighty said, well, you're home, you're the well, how about you pick him off? So, well, mm-hmm. yeah. Unreal, mate. But then Dermy goes down and kicks three goals. Oh, no, the Ford Prophet. He, so, re- he uh, recovered pretty well, didn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, he was tough. Yeah. Tell me, um, did is that when he ran through your huddle at quarter time or something? No, that was the Edson huddle. That was the week before or the couple of weeks before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty courageous. Yeah. Or silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, um, uh, Dean Wallace would have been in that huddle too, so... Um, yeah, he might have uh, had something to say about it, possibly. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he got th- halfway through okay, but getting out the other side was a little bit tougher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, it's like, like uh, yeah, walking through a nightclub sometimes, and uh, yeah, 
uh, some of the interesting things we would have had to experience, or we would have experienced back then. So, mate, incredible. Like, uh, it's good to get insight into that sort of stuff. And, um, uh, you know, I, I yeah, I, my observation was that uh, just that, um, you know, Mark Gates just ran through him because uh, there was an opportunity to do so. I didn't realise, you know, there was such planning involved in that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it, you know, he owed him one from the, from the game earlier in the year. Mm. Um, you know, where he disrespected him and he picked him off off the contest and when the Aces didn't carry it up on the stretch, he was disrespecting him on the way off. So, mm. yeah, I think they're, they're you know, the best of mates now. They often go and do speaking engagements together and talk about the incident, mm. the lead up and the aftermath. But, um, yes. Yeah. Unreal. It was just something that happened and... Yeah, that's it. Part of life, mate. Move on, move on. So tell me, with regards to moving out of uh, being a player, you, you've been around AFL circles, uh, you know, in play development and all sorts of things pretty much ever since. How's that sort yeah. of, How's it been for you? Ah, oh, amazing. Yeah, you know, to, you know, what do they say, if you get a job doing your hobby, you never work a day in your life. Mm. Um, you know, you love you love the sport, you love being involved, you love the ability to give back to people and help people. So, you know, I started volunteering in '94 and got a job in '95, and, and until I lived in Hong Kong for a couple of years, I worked full time in footy. And mm. even in Hong Kong, we got some stuff going, got some leagues and boss kicks and programs going over there. That are now part of Port Adelaide's China strategy, and mm. came back and got involved in women's footy and when the AFL. Victoria took over the running of the women's footy and we, we had some uh, massive gains there and set up the talent pathway there. So had some great help over the days, but you know, just to get up every day and go to the footy, it's a pretty good pretty good existence. Mm-hmm. Has it changed a lot over the years, you reckon? Like from confusing yeah, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, the, the kids are a little bit different. They're, they're brought up a little bit different, so the way you communicate with them is different. Mm. Um, it keeps you young working with kids. There's no doubt about that. Mm. sort of... When you're dealing with you know, younger, younger adults, and you know I'm over sixty now, so it just keeps you a bit younger and a bit sharper. But you know, mm. um, the the pathways change. It's uh, you know it, it, it grew to be a really good pathway. Then COVID hit, and they cut the guts out of the whole tunnel pathway, and and that's when we all got the flick. Mm. Um, mm. So I moved away from footy there. So after twenty five years of of working in footy, I. We got told that our job we were doing was redundant, which was mm. another shock, and we had to find something else to do. And then COVID hit, and we all got locked up. So mm. Mm. I escaped back to Catamatite and jumped on a uh, tractor. Jumped on a John Deere from my brother and <laughs> drove up and down the paddock and yeah, help with the harvesting in yeah, the spring and, and, uh, and then the 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 fire this the um the fodder harvest at the end of end of spring. Mm. So that sort of. It uh, kept me out of out of Melbourne while the really really severe lockdown was on. I reckon there's a lot of people struggled through that. Yeah. All their all their connections were lost, and uh, that's the role I'm in now. I'm actually trying to help local footy clubs restore those connections with Auskicks and with their volunteers and, mm. and all that sort of stuff. So that's what I'm currently working with the Essendon Footy League now. So, so you, uh, you're not actually working for the AFL directly. You're working with uh, with one of the leagues, are you? Yeah, one of the local leagues, yes, in the District Footy League. Mm. Yeah, that's why I'm out tonight at Greenbelt Footy Club. We're going to talk to their junior coaches mm. about how to be effective coaches and how to talk to kids and how to how to set up a decent training session, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, still giving back to local footy, which is which is good, and you know, enjoying it immensely. Tremendous, mate. It's got to be recognised. You know, it really does. Like, there's lots of people that have 
put in for years in, in this space and um, you know times have changed a lot and I just think um, yeah, the more we can do with the development of the game and, and, and you know, using it you know uh, as, a, as, a, as a vehicle to, to, to keep people connected I think is, is, is you know, really critical and tremendous and you know it's interesting I was talking to Hamish Ogilvy the other day and um, uh, I was down in Tassie for a while and, and, and obviously he was too and he was saying like one of the strongest clubs in the state, Glenorchy, um, couldn't field an under-18s or a reserve side on the weekend. Yeah. So, so that, that's a worry, you know, um, to be it's able to... It's a sad state of affairs, it really is. And, yeah. You know, when you're involved in the talent pathway like I was for that 20-odd years, it, you know, it wasn't the superstar you got drafted it was the kids that you helped who didn't have a dad and mm. you know you found them a job and all that sort of stuff and all the connections that you were able to you know i always remember one of my first jobs at the studios was to, when i worked as a talent manager there was to cut a list and there was a kid who uh who didn't make it and make a list he was you know not quite up and a bit injured and his, his dad rang up and he said i'd like to thank you for what you did for my son you've kept him out of jail always made through jail yes and he know, wow well, i probably had more effect on that kid by helping him yeah um you know just have a little bit of a stable environment around him and a few good mentors uh, yeah because he's obviously all his mates have gone off the rails and got themselves in trouble yeah and, and the, for the dad to ring up and say look i know he wasn't quite good enough but thanks so much for what you did mm. was, um, yeah really really touching and you just think okay there's a bit more tilt and finding the kid who's going to get on an AFL list it's, yes there's all that other stuff that goes around putting good mentors and good people around kids who are a little bit vulnerable I agree mate 100% you know the 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 like I'm getting off track a bit a lot of the work that I've done is I actually did I did quite a bit of work in prisons and and you know I've met a lot of guys like that young fella you know that uh, that just just did the wrong thing because I never had the, the guidance and they end up paying the price for it, you know. Mm. But the, the, the more we can put the early interventions in place, so I think it's uh, it's really important to be able to, um, you know, to, to, to give guys some some hope, uh, young fellas some hope, but also men, you know, that are, that are a little bit lost, to be able to give them some direction and help them uh, break the circuits, which, uh, which are, you know, sort of blocking them and... Um, you know, it doesn't take much, you know, it's just a conversation you can have with someone or it's, um, yeah. um, you know, uh, being able to give someone um, some advice that can take them down a certain path, but also, you know, keep keep there and keep in contact with them, I think it's really important because, um, uh, you know, we have we have such a, a great opportunity to, to reach our potential and our goals as humans, we just need someone to give us a hand that's probably, you know, been... been um, you know, through it and actually has the experience to be able to sort of, you know, guide someone into a certain direction. And um, I just think uh, what you're doing is, is great, mate. There needs to be more and more uh, invested into that because it's, it's so important. It can really change culture and people's lives. Yeah, and, and oh, I just think it's it's an unsold benefit of community sport. Yeah. Um, you know, they, oh, it's going to cost, you know, the local council is going to cost us 100 grand to drop the ground. Well, you know, you might have, you know, 50 kids there that, they come from a pretty low socioeconomic background and haven't got a lot of support. But if that footy ground's not there, yes. that footy club's not there, that footy ground's not, you know, something they aspire to get to, you know, you, the, the catastrophic effects of those disconnected kids is far greater than the underground. It's going to cost you to get the place set up in the first place. Yes. And I just reckon it's, you know, it's the health benefits, but the mental health and the connectedness benefits of around community sport is just one of the, 
It's completely undersold, in my opinion. Yeah, agree, mate. Oh, I saw it happen where I'm from in Horsham. Like, they actually, uh, there was two sort of sporting grounds sort of across the road from each other, and the council got rid of one to build, build houses on, and and that just destroyed that uh, that connection that people had with that club, you know, and that club uh, dissolved. But um, um, they, they won't go across the road. No, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it was like. And... Um, uh, you know, my dad played footy and cricket there. I played footy and cricket there, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I'd sort of moved on by the time it had folded. But, uh, you know, I moved to Melbourne and stuff. But primarily, um, you know, a lot of those young kids that were coming through, like, just lost that then. And, you know, there's never any compassion when the kid was getting in trouble and, um, you know, and getting um, sort of a rap over the knuckles by the coppers and maybe ended up in jail. There was never any, like, uh, research done on why the kid behaved a certain way, uh, yeah. you know. So, so those linkages and, um, and those support structures and mechanisms are really important, um, you know, for a young man or a young woman's life. Yeah, and there's that the old saying that a village raises a child is so, so true in the country. Yep, for sure. You know, like the, the Caddy Footy Club had an enormous effect on me, you know. It wasn't, you know, just my dad and... My uncles who were helping out, but all the you know the, the local legends of the footy club—they they just kept you in line, it kept you connected, and mm. you know you catch up with them now, and you're still good mates, even though you haven't seen them for twenty or thirty years. That you just pick it up, and you're appreciative of what they, the you know, the, the environment they created to help you develop and be nurtured. It's just it's invaluable. Yeah, agree, mate. Well, let's just hope what you're doing is the start of it and there's more leagues that adopt what you're doing and uh, be able mm. to invest in it because um, it's important, you know, not just for now but for the future and for the health of uh, the game but also for the health of people's uh, lives, you know, physically and mentally. Uh, I just think that's where we need to, to be going in a, in a preventative space rather than a reactive space, you know, and mm. dealing with problems rather than to actually look at where the problems are coming from and, and work on that. I think that's where, you know, smart money needs to go, I reckon, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the first things that I say when I talk to a group of junior coaches at a local footy club, I said, the future of this whole footy club rests in your hands. Mm. And they look at me and they go, what do you mean? I said, well, if you make sure these kids are connected and they love footy and they keep coming back and they keep coming back, this footy club will keep going on for generations. Mm. But if all of a sudden they get disaffected and they leave and there's, there's no connection with the future, the senior footy club's going to fold. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's an enormously important role that these coaches and these these team managers and trainers and committee and play at a community level, they just you know, to, to keep those kids grounded and and healthy mentally is just yes. so important yeah agree mate no, well said well i really hope that we can uh, stay connected ourselves you and i in the future because uh, i think we've got a we've got a responsibility to be able to do more of this sort of stuff and and just keep at it because uh it's important you know and uh, i just yeah. hope what you're doing the roles are embraced and it's uh it's um continued on with and uh you know you get to do what you love and that's that's really mm. important for you as an individual and everyone else benefits from that yeah, it's just I'm very, very fortunate to have uh, been well nurtured, well looked after, and I had a little bit of ability, and that got me a fair way down the track of of helping others. And I think the more of us that give back, like what you're doing with your groups, uh, it just you know, can only help the world be a better place. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, appreciate it, mate.